Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The world is full of magic and wonder if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to A Bit of Optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Bruce Bozzi. On the last season of Table for Two, we had some good times with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for. Table for Two is a bit different from other interview shows. We sit down at a great restaurant for a meal, and the stories start flowing. We're back for a second season. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. CNN must fire its CEO, Chris Licht, for birthing a journalistic abomination unprecedented in American television history last night. Its new owners must sell the CNN network whose brand they irreparably damaged last night. E. Jean Carroll needs to sue Donald J. Trump for the new defamatory comments he made about her last night. And moderator Caitlin Collins needs to sue her agent for ending her career last night. But most importantly, most imperatively, all mainstream American news organizations must today solemnly and unflinchingly look inward after what happened last night and understand that if you simply assume, as CNN did, that if you apply the American journalistic rules of 20, 50, or 150 years ago to a presidential candidate who will speak any lie, who will slander any person, who will manipulate any fear, who will betray any and all aspects of democracy, you will inherit the wind. CNN handed over 70 minutes of its prime time and all of its remaining credibility to a madman to a criminal, to a liar, to a would-be dictator last night. It gave him an audience of braying cult members who gave him not one critical nor even less than fawning question. It gave him a moderator whom he ignored, mocked, insulted, lied to, lied about, and who in turn thought everything would be fine if she simply responded to his lies by saying, no, you're wrong. It was not a Trump infomercial last night. It was not the same as Trump on Newsmax. It was not like a Trump rally. Because despite all of the endless vomiting of hate and falsehoods Trump can enact in those venues, infomercials and Newsmax and rallies 
carry with them the implied warning of hyperpartisanship and the caveat of hyper-showmanship. The so-called CNN town hall had all of those same nauseating and harrowing components that so delight Trump and his cultists and, worst of all, his enablers who know better. But CNN dressed them up, dressed them up in a patina of authenticity, a possibility of reality, a confused, naive hope that this time Trump would be better or Trump would be exposed or this time Trump would be ruined or this time Trump would be stopped. Last night, CNN legitimized the lies and the feral venom of Donald Trump. And for whatever shamed remorse might leak out of that organization today or in the days ahead, for whatever sober self-reflection might be done at the New York Times or the Washington Post or the other outlets who may have now seen what happens when you apply the laws of honest journalism in a democracy to a man who will not and cannot even consider honesty nor democracy, for whether or not some editor really stops some writer writing, Trump lied to and abused America for 70 minutes last night, here's why that's bad news for Joe Biden. For whatever regret felt or lessened learned, there will be others who will look at the ratings as they come out later today and will say, did you see those numbers? We need to do something like that as soon as possible. If you were smart enough not to watch, I will try to spare you the guts of truth and decency and America that Trump spilled all over the CNN stage last night. I will quote as little as necessary and instead give you a stark and rapid inventory of what CNN let Trump inflict upon us. But let me emphasize first the gravity and the dimensions of this disaster. It was foreseeable. CNN was warned. The moderator was mediocre at best and indifferent at worst. But bluntly, Edward R. Murrow would likely have been just as swamped and bullied as she was, not merely by the lies but by the format CNN created, by the live format, by the live environment, by the stacked, fixed audience, by the entire concept that this charlatan Chris Licht personally and boastfully devised. It was a battle she could not win. It was a battle the network could not win. It was a battle truth and journalism could not win. In short, this, for CNN, was the Hindenburg to recap, not 90 seconds in, CNN let Trump claim the 2020 election was stolen. Moderator Collins interrupted and said it wasn't. Trump ignored her and said it was rigged. She interrupted again. Trump steamrollered her. She seemed shocked he would not concede he had lost. She seemed triumphant when he wouldn't concede. She queried him about the E. Jean Carroll lawsuit and verdict. CNN let him slander the woman he sexually abused. A day after a jury found him guilty of defaming her, he defamed her again. He called her a, quote, whack job. He insisted he met her and took a photo with her, and in the same sentence, he said he never met her. The moderator did not even note the self-contradiction. Still calling him Mr. President, the moderator asked him about January 6th. CNN let Trump blame Nancy Pelosi. An audience member asked if he'd pardon the January 6th participants, and he said he intended to pardon most of them. He said January 6th was a beautiful day. 
CNN let him call the African-American police officer who shot the terrorist Ashley Babbitt a, quote, thug. The moderator said nothing. Asked by an audience member about the debt ceiling debate, CNN let Trump say the United States of America should default on its debts. The moderator never mentioned his contributions to the national debt. CNN let Trump say women allowed stars to grab them by the genitals. CNN let him boast about such sexual assaults. The audience CNN picked laughed and applauded. Asked about abortion, CNN let him claim he terminated Roe v. Wade himself. CNN let him claim Democrats are, quote, executing babies after they have been born. The moderator said nothing. CNN selected an audience member to ask a question about the mass gun shootings. The questioner wanted to know what Trump would do to protect gun rights and bump stocks. The moderator asked about immigration and Title 42 and wondered how voters could be sure that this time he would build the wall. CNN let him claim that undocumented immigrants are living in Central Park. CNN let him claim that 15 million undocumented immigrants will enter the country this year. CNN let him blame his border family separation policy on President Obama. The moderator asked him about Ukraine. CNN let him insist that he would end the war in one day and did not ask him how. CNN let him emphasize that his only concern was that Europe was not paying as much money for the war as the U.S. is. The moderator asked if he would call the war criminal Vladimir Putin a war criminal. He would not call the war criminal Vladimir Putin a war criminal. CNN let him lie about the Presidential Records Act. CNN then let him lie about the Mar-a-Lago document story. CNN then let him lie about what he asked about in the Georgia phone call. And CNN closed by asking him if he'd commit to accepting the outcome of the 2024 election, even though when asked that in 2016, he said only if he thought it was honest. And even though when asked that in 2020, he said only if he thought it was honest. And shockingly, his reply about 2024 was only if he thought it was honest. Now to the consequences. There was no pushback from other CNN figures in the hours leading up to the broadcast. Wolf Blitzer, Jeff Zeleny, Jamie Gangel, Laura Coates, Jonah Goldberg, and others participated naively and credulously in advance. Afterwards, Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper, Abby Phillip, Dana Bash, John King, Audie Cornish, and others looked and even sounded astonished that it had really happened that way, even though that was the only way it could happen, the only way it could ever happen. There was an occasional moment when Tapper seemed angry. Not one of them, not one of them criticized CNN. Not one of them even hinted at questioning just the gravely disastrous decision to put this atrocity on live or on without real-time fact-checking, or with an audience, or on at all. As to the moderator, Ms. Collins, she was often wooden, flat, robotic, ineffective, and as I said earlier, it doesn't matter. Trump told his labyrinthine, nonsensical lies in his unfinished sentences, and she said placidly, but that's not true, Mr. President. And he simply interrupted her and told a new lie. And she said placidly, but that's not true, Mr. President. And this seemed to go on forever. There had been some question 
that given her background as a writer for Tucker Carlson's Daily Caller site, where she once mocked both waterboarding and charity fundraising for ALS in the same article, whether Collins had been chosen because she would not succeed in thwarting Trump. Ultimately, that doesn't matter. Trump's pre-broadcast claims that CNN gave him a deal he had to take may soon be analyzed in the way the Federal Aviation Administration analyzes a crash. However, I told you last week that Caitlin Collins would be rewarded for participating in this monstrosity by being given a primetime show on CNN. I had calculated it would be at 8 p.m., literally three hours before Trump went on. It leaked to Puck News that Chris Licht would, in fact, be offering her the 9 p.m. program. She might now want to think twice, but that, too, doesn't matter. She will never live last night down. If you are wondering what from my high horse it is that I could possibly be expecting now from CNN employees, if I could really believe after nearly 50 years of doing this, that CNN employees should criticize CNN management or even hint at the dimensions and irreversibility of this disaster, I would like to point one thing out. In 2008, I was co-anchoring MSNBC's coverage of the Republican National Convention. We let the convention producers cut to what was described in the rundown as a tribute to the victims of 9-11. It was, in fact, a snuff film, a pre-produced video now running on our air, on CNN, on other networks, showing all of the video that our networks had stopped showing literally days after the terrorist attacks because it was just too graphic. It showed people jumping from the Twin Towers. Only this time, at the Republican convention, it showed those people jumping to their deaths with narration that indicated that voting for Democrats meant this would happen again. When it was over, they came back to me on camera and I said that the network had been unaware that that was what the Republicans meant by a tribute to the victims of 9-11. And I said, if MSNBC had chosen to show that video to you without warning, I would have felt compelled to apologize to you. That's what I said. I was punished. They took me off co-anchoring the presidential debates. They humiliated me accordingly. I felt that day it was worth it. I have felt that way ever since. And today it is one of the things I am most proud of in my life. And nothing like that has happened from CNN. Nothing close. And more importantly than that, CNN had an opportunity to preemptively protect itself from the tsunami of criticism that began at literally 8.02 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time last night and will, at least metaphorically, never come to an end. One of CNN's own contributors, the January 6th hero and victim, former officer Michael Fanone, wrote an op-ed criticizing the network and even leaving out Licht's name for scheduling this event in the first place. Chris Licht refused to publish it on the CNN website. The new era of even-handedness, of all sides having a voice at CNN, a balance of reestablishing the old CNN, begins with Chris Licht silencing even a tiny fig leaf of criticism of Chris Licht and CNN and Trump. 
Fanon's piece did run yesterday on Rolling Stone's website. It is strong and it is negative and it is nothing that a legitimate news organization could not withstand easily. Nothing that a legitimate news organization would not have been applauded for having had the open mindedness to publish, except if that organization is Chris Licht's CNN. After the network imploded last night, it could have used Fanon's piece as one small, dissenting, and correct voice. Let me read just a little of what Fanon wrote and recommend you read the rest of it at rollingstone.com. Quote, In a recent trip to CNN's Washington, D.C. bureau, I sat silently in the green room as guests, anchors, and employees filtered through and clamored about how outrageous it was that CBS would give Marjorie Taylor Greene an interview on its prestigious 60 Minutes series. Good question. I hope my fellow CNN employees have the balls to raise those same questions with the network executives. Continuing from Fanon, in the past, CNN has recognized the dangers of allowing election deniers a public platform and would not allow them on air. Under new, quote, leadership, unquote, that policy has been discarded as evidenced by CNN's decision to allow the chief election denier, former President Trump, a prominent time slot in its evening lineup. As if Trump were a normal candidate who had not attempted to steal an election by force. Fanon continued, in the wake of January 6th, Trump's ability to communicate to the masses was essentially stripped away from him. Twitter banned him for life. No major media outlets would have him on. So what has changed? Fanon answered his own question. I don't believe for one second that this is about journalistic integrity. It's about ratings and money. Sometimes things are exactly as they appear. And this appears to be an attempt by a major media outlet struggling with its ratings to attract disenfranchised viewers. To me, allowing Trump an open forum on a major television news network is the moral equivalent of putting an AR-15 in the hands of someone mentally unstable. Whether words or bullets, and I have seen firsthand the effects of both, they are equally dangerous in the mouths or hands of those who have shown us time and time again what their true intentions are. End quote. Michael Fanone was wrong, I think, in one respect only. That, last night, was not handing Trump a metaphorical AR-15. It was handing him a dozen of them. Still ahead on this edition of Countdown, George Santos has been indicted. And you know all those other different names in there that he called himself? Anthony DeVolder, Katara Rivash. If he's convicted on all these charges and gets the maximum sentence for each, all three of them could each get life sentences. So a college basketball coach at the top echelon of his sport for 30 years goes on a hate speech radio show, drops a homophobic slur, then repeats the slur and uses as an adjective for it the word Catholic. So it came out Catholic blanks. He's been fired, right? Oh, no, he hasn't. 
And when was the last time you heard about a radio disc jockey threatening to get the radio sportscaster fired during their show? This is an especially interesting question, considering the radio sportscaster in this equation was me. That's next. This is Countdown. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip. Who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts what does optimism look like I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline Central, Islip, Long Island, New York. Congressman George Santos was indeed indicted on a whopping 13 counts, seven for wire fraud for taking unemployment money during the pandemic, even though he was unemployed, and continuing to confirm to authorities each time they asked that he was unemployed when, in fact, he was employed. Conviction and max sentence on those seven counts alone could get him 140 years in prison. He's not resigning. He didn't flee, and he's insisting it's a witch hunt. Oh, now he's a witch, too. He's also not making a plea deal, and Biden this and the undertone here of a man who has never been held accountable for anything in his life. Two postscripts. 
Santos pleaded not guilty. What, you expected him not to lie about this, too? And you have to give him credit, given the hundreds of lies already written about, it is actually spectacular that George Santos managed to get himself indicted for lies we did not already know about. Thank you, Nancy Faust. Dateline Washington. Oh, there she is. Diane Feinstein has actually been seen in the District of Columbia. She was there yesterday after an absence of, uh, wait, let me figure this out. What century is this? First day back since February. First public comments. Quote, hi, everybody, unquote. And on her first day back, she missed another vote. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, the 2023 National Football League schedule is out, and the headlines are more games in Frankfurt, Germany, and no conference exclusivity for individual TV networks, and a Black Friday game for the first time, Miami at the Jets at 3 p.m. the day after Thanksgiving. Getting a little less attention, the rather remarkable truth that the NFL schedule, regular season and playoffs combined, will now feature games on... Every day of the week except Tuesdays and Wednesdays. The Sunday regular schedule, Sunday nights, Sunday mornings, Monday nights, Thursday nights, this new Friday game, and Saturdays during the playoffs. Apart from the fact that Friday and Saturday are high school and college football days, and there are some big college rivalry games scheduled for Black Friday, like Texas and Texas Tech and Oregon and Oregon State, you have to wonder if the NFL is finally risking killing off the proverbial golden goose. In 30 years, pro football has gone from a sport where coverage of the game peaked at the Super Bowl, resumed briefly for the college draft, and then went into hibernation until training camps started. Now, NFL news, NFL talk, NFL gossip, NFL injuries, NFL trends, NFL ups, NFL downs, NFL why isn't there any news in the NFL days? That is a 24-7, 52-week-a-year industry, a nonstop frenzy during the season. The league gets more publicity out of days it is not playing than all other sports leagues combined. What happens When there are only two days without games being played, what happens to the cliched but very real Monday morning quarterbacking when they might conceivably soon have the Monday morning game? And basketball coach Bob Huggins has been in and out of trouble so long that I covered some of it when I still hosted SportsCenter in the 90s. Huggins eventually got squeezed out as the coach at Cincinnati for a DUI. But they don't make punishments like they used to. On Monday, Bob Huggins, now coaching West Virginia, went on the notoriously hate speech filled Bill Cunningham show on a Cincinnati radio station and talked about a game long ago between Cincinnati and Xavier University at which, quote, rubber penises, unquote, he said, were thrown on the floor. 
quoting Huggins again, what it was was all those homophobic slurs, those Catholic homophobic slurs, I think, unquote. So he was fired, right? I mean, this was that rare equal opportunity attack on the LGBTQ community and on the Catholic community. Not fired. Huggins has to take courses and training and a three-game suspension and blah, 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 blah. And this is what it is really all about. West Virginia's athletic department says Coach Huggins has agreed to a $1 million pay cut. So if he'd only blasted the Catholics or only used the homophobic slur, it would have been what? A half-million-dollar pay cut? What a self-humiliation for West Virginia University. Wow. Now for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, Congressman James Comer, Senator Ron Johnson, and the other transparent frauds trying to make it look like the corruption of the Trump family has any kind of parallel in the family of President Biden. The goal is not to get any Bidens indicted or anything like that. It's just to create this fog of everybody does it in order to make the Trump crimes seem less odious. Senator Johnson yesterday told Fox's incredibly nitwitted Maria Bartiromo that the big reveal on the Bidens may not include any real evidence. You'll just have to infer the evidence of guilt. Of course, not a lot of people saw what Johnson said, nor did they see the big rollout by Comer, who managed to schedule his big anti-Biden news conference right between the George Santos arraignment and the Trump CNN debacle. As I always say, democracy is maintained less by the efforts of those of us who fight to protect it than it is by the stupidity of those who are trying to destroy it, like Senator Johnson and Congressman Comer. By the way, Congressman, what about your college girlfriend? Did you really beat her up and threaten her life? The runner-up, the late author Alex Haley, who wrote Roots and conducted one of the most historically important interviews of the 20th century with Martin Luther King for Playboy in 1965. And sadly, it sure looks like the most famous quote from that interview was made up, apparently by Haley. The author, Jonathan Eig, has found an original copy of the 84-page transcript of that interview between Haley and Dr. King, including the part where Dr. King spoke about Malcolm X. The last sentence of that part of the transcript reads, quote, and in his litany of expressing the despair of the Negro without offering a positive creative approach, I think he falls into a rut sometimes. But in Playboy, that last sentence has become, quote, and in his litany of articulating the despair of the Negro without offering any positive, creative alternative, I feel that Malcolm has done himself and our people a great disservice, fiery demagogic oratory in the black ghettos urging Negroes to arm themselves and prepare to engage in violence as he has done can reap nothing but grief, unquote. And from the record, it sure looks like Alex Haley made all that up and essentially created the friction between the two murdered civil rights leaders, a friction that endures to this day and is less a friction than it is a fiction. But our winner, Tommy Tuberville, 
the terrible college football coach who has somehow become a still worse U.S. senator. He did an interview with the NPR station in Birmingham, Alabama. Wait, I thought we were supposed to have defunded NPR. Would you idiots keep your idiocy straight, please? Tuberville is not happy that this country is punishing white supremacists. Quote, we, Tubb said, our military and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin put out an order to stand down on all military across the country saying we're going to run out the white nationalists, people that don't believe how we believe. And that's not how we do it in this country. The startled interviewer then asked Tuberville if he was saying that white nationalists should be allowed to serve in the U.S. military. They call them that, the senator from the 19th century replied. I call them Americans. And ladies and gentlemen, whether or not you think we have a white supremacist problem in the U.S. military, we sure as hell have one in the U.S. Senate. Tommy, white nationalist and proud of it, Tuberville, today's worst person in the world! With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts what does optimism look like I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
still ahead on Countdown. It's not every day when the disc jockey threatens to kill the sportscaster. And oh, by the way, I was the sportscaster. Things I promise not to tell next. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need you can help. Every dog has its day. The pounds are saturated with great young dogs who should be learning to love their new humans. And instead, it has become killing season. Such is the case in Downey, California. They've killed five dogs there in just the last few days. And now Lonzo, a year-old German shepherd with a beautiful coat, complete with regal fringe collar near his neck. He is on death row there. He is well enough behaved that you could go to the Downey shelter and take him home with you today. He's great with kids eight and up. He's great with adults. He's great with female dogs. He gets territorial with other males, but he calms down quickly even from that and is a prime candidate for training. There's even an offer to pay someone just to foster him for two weeks. Look for him on my Twitter feeds because Lonzo needs a miracle. I thank you and Lonzo thanks you. This remains, in short, as terrifying as anything else in my career. Death threats, fake anthrax, what New York felt like post 9-11, the frozen feeling of realizing you've made a terrible damaging mistake on a story, even working for Rupert Murdoch. Worse than that. 42 years have passed since this event, and nothing has dimmed the memory. Nothing has reduced the palpable sense of anxiety in every joint in my body. On Sunday, December 21st, 1980, the Oakland Raiders defeated the New York Giants 33-17 to end the Giants' season at four wins and 12 losses, with the most points they had given up in one year since 1966. I was the backup sportscaster at WNEW Radio in New York. We carried the Giants game broadcasts. In fact, we had carried them since I was two years old. I was now a month shy of 22, and it being Christmas week, I reported bright and early to the studios at 41st Street and 3rd Avenue on Monday, December 22nd. My first sportscast was at 5.30 a.m. There was a theme song which invoked the name of the regular sportscaster John Kennelly. It said sports and commentary. And my first few weeks filling in that year, I stuck mostly to the sports with just an occasional commentary, but mostly a joke or pithy observation. Well, kind of pithy. But that first weekend of winter, the giant stink was all that we could smell in New York, and I felt I had to point it out, pointedly. And so while I observed that there was a positive, they had started one and eight, but then had actually won three of their last seven games, the rest of my commentary was cynical, acerbic, dissatisfied. In other words, the average day of the typical New York sports fan. I ended my show right on time at 5.35 a.m., and to my surprise, I heard the disc jockey skip his usual post-sportscast remarks and instead simply play the next record, which I think was Frank Sinatra's The Way You Look Tonight. We were a big band station. I stepped out of the booth and took the dozen strides through the newsroom, busy even at that hour with eight or ten staffers, and I was sitting down at my desk when the door from the main air studio slammed open. In the doorway stood the dish jockey, and he had a message for me. The message was, You punk! The dish jockey's name was Ted Brown. 
On the air, he was your morning man, Ted Brown, speaking upbeat drivel, mostly to women who loved the mellow sound of his voice. Off the air, WNEW was his station, and the morning show was his show. He would fight for it. In fact, he had fought at least two news reporters in his time in the studio while Frank Sinatra records played on a turntable 30 feet away. Ted Brown was a big man, 6'3", 6'4", maybe. By this point, I don't know, 230, 40, 250, thick tortoiseshell glasses. He was a sports fan, a huge gambler, racetracks mostly. The Giants had begun on WNEW in 1961. Ted Brown had begun on WNEW in 1949. And he was tough. And it was not even the New York tough I had grown up with. This guy had been a tail gunner on a B-17 during the Second World War, and the Nazis shot him down, and they took him to Stalag 9C near Leipzig, and they kept him there for 18 months. And basically, he chewed up and spit out guys like me for breakfast. And I respected him. You punk! So you don't like how the Giants did? You think any of us do? He gestured towards the newscasters and staffers. Nobody looked up. You know how easy it is to sit there in a nice, heated, dry, comfortable newsroom? I was in Stalag 9C! His contempt for the idea of the newsroom was amazing. You sit here in your newsroom and pontificate while men, men in helmets with mud on them, their bones breaking, their hearts pounding. They are out on the field fighting and tackling and working on the field of battle so you can sit here in your newsroom. It was at this point that I remembered where I had first seen a photograph of Ted Brown. He was in a booth at Yankee Stadium where the Giants played in the 1960s. He was the third man, a combination color announcer and host, on Giants radio broadcasts on WNEW. He was the worst possible person to have heard me rip the New York Giants, even the 4 and 12 1980 New York Giants, even if editorially I was completely correct and not nearly as hard on the team as its own announcers had been on our station the day before. What did you do to earn your spot here, punk? Ted Brown was turning red. One of his fists was already clenched, while the other arm cut through the air to emphasize how much I sucked. I truly believed he was about to take a swing at me. Then from behind him, the door from his studio swung open again, and the elderly engineer, the man who actually spun the records on Ted's show, came through it. Ted, I just had to segue out of Sinatra to Jimmy Cagney singing Yankee Doodle Dandy, and the, the general manager called, and he said, I should tell you, WNEW does not segue no records. Don't do it again. You better get back in here. The Cagney's almost finished. The engineer then vanished silently back through the door. This warning did nothing but make Ted Brown even angrier. The general manager! Have you met the general manager, punk? Jack Thayer! And Jack Thayer gets in here at 8.20 every morning on the dot. Clockwork, punk. When you finish your 8.30 sportscast, I'm dragging you in to meet Jack Thayer, the general manager. And that, punk, is when your career at WNEW Radio will come to an abrupt end. End. You think the New York Giants had a bad 1980? How about your 1980, 
punk when your career ended because the real men, the real men are out there on the playing field, not sitting inside a newsroom in a sweater. This continued for some time. The engineer returned. Ted, it's Thayer again. I, I just segued to some Mel Torme. Ted Thayer wants to talk to you. He thinks maybe you're not here and I'm covering for you. Ted Brown turned and swore dark oaths against the engineer and, for that matter, against the general manager, Jack Thayer, and, for that matter, against Mel Torme. You and me, punk! 835! The end of your career, punk! He lunged at me suddenly. The engineer grabbed him and pulled him back through the door. In the newsroom, there were only two sounds. One, my heart, which I suspect was audible, perhaps the next block. The other, typing. Nobody said a word. Nobody looked at me. A phone rang. The production assistant sang out, WNEW News. I went over to the newscaster who had been the most supportive of me to that point, Bob Hagen. And through my shaking, I said, thanks for the help, Bob. Bob did not look up from his typewriter. What? He said matter-of-factly. Brown? I said, yes, Brown. He's going to get me fired in three hours. Bob Hagen laughed. No, he's not. I said, he just spent, I don't know how many minutes, he spent three records screaming at me. Didn't you hear him? I heard him. We all heard him. We've all heard him every time he said that. He said that to every one of us out here. He said that about every one of us out here. He took a swing at Eisgrau over there. What was it, Jimmy, two months ago? Ignore him. I said I failed to see why any of what he had told me should encourage me to ignore Ted Brown when we had a meeting with the general manager at 835. Bob Hagen now stopped typing and smiled up at me reassuringly from his chair. Keith. You do a good job. Ted is nuts. Ted is mean. Ted is a crazy Giants fan. Ted is also still bitter that he's not on the radio broadcast of the Giants games. But Ted has also been doing morning radio almost every day since 1945. Keith, that's 35 years of getting up in the middle of the night. And many, many years ago, Keith, Ted stopped remembering things. Like what somebody said on his show. He doesn't remember. He won't remember. Just finish off the next sportscast with one of your clever, funny little kicker stories. And even if he somehow remembers what you said about the Giants, when he hears a good laugh, all he'll remember is the laugh. I tried to be respectful of Bob, but I told him I found all of this hard to believe. Keith, he also drinks. He has nightmares. He has POW nightmares. And he gets up at 3 a.m. every day. He does not imprint new memories anymore. But no, wh why should you listen to me? I've only been on his show for 10 years. Why would I know? I'm telling you, get a good, funny kicker for the 6.30 and he'll love you. I nodded grimly. I did not believe Bob Hagen, but I knew he meant well. And anyway, he had started to type again. The clock now moved impossibly quickly. Incredibly, I did find just the kind of funny, clever kicker story Bob suggested I should use to close the 6.30 sportscast. I minimized my assault on the Giants and then finished off my report with some story that shed a good light on Montclair State College in New Jersey. I could not have known, and I swear I did not know, that Ted Brown's sister had graduated from Montclair State College in New Jersey. 
I finished off the sportscast with the story, something that made Montclair State look good, a little chuckle, and then Keith Olbermann for John Kennelly on the Ted Brown Show. Ominously, again to my terror, Ted Brown now said nothing on the air. I could not see him through the window into the main air studio. The engineer played a record instead. It may have been the Montavani strings play the Beatles. I opened the door back to the newsroom slowly and with trepidation. I crouched as I moved back towards my desk, and that's when it happened. The door from the main air studio slammed open again. It was Ted Brown again. Where is he? Where is he? Montclair State? My sister went to Montclair State. What a story. What a great laugh. Perfectly delivered. My God, that was the best sportscast we have ever had on this station. Don't you think so, Preeley? God love you, kid. What a talent. I laughed out loud. Kid, I don't laugh out loud. It was the same Ted Brown. I stole a quick glance at the newsroom to see if this whole thing was some kind of act being filmed for a hidden camera TV series. Nobody looked up. Again, nobody looked up. Ted Brown, the man who an hour before was ready to beat me up and get me fired, was now repeating again and again that I had just delivered the best sportscast in the history of WNEW radio. That's when his engineer came back in. He had segued from Montavani to Perry Como, and the general manager had called, and now Ted Brown's eyes widened behind the thick glasses. The general manager, Jack Thayer, say, Keith, have you ever met Jack Thayer? This gives me a great idea. Jack Thayer comes in here every morning at 8.20, like clockwork. Look, I I love John Kennelly. He's great. But you, you are exactly the kind of new, fresh, young voice we need on this radio station. Damn it, that I need on my show. When Jack Thayer comes in here at 820 this morning, you and I are going right into his office, and we're going to get you your own sportscast on my show. We can do two sportscasts an hour. We'll take it out of the the stock report. Montclair State, I'll get you a contract. You and Kennelly, will 75 grand be enough for you, kid? You're going to hit the big time here, my friend. And out the engineer came again. Jack Thayer had again called in, fourth time that I knew of. He really needed Ted back in the studio to talk to the women. Ted Brown happily shouted, Okay, okay, and began to back up into the doorway. The look in his eyes towards me was one of unimaginable love. Come here, come here, wait, come here, come here, come here. And he lunged at me and grabbed me into a bear hug. Just brilliant. Montclair State, I got to call my sister and tell you, see you in Jack's office at 835. I stood there, having now been pummeled by two hurricanes arriving from different directions in the span of one hour. All was silent in the WNEW newsroom again but for the typing, but it was silent only for a moment. That's when Bob Hagen addressed me. Again, he did not look up. All he said was, Keith, he won't remember that either. I've done all the damage I can do here. Here are the credits. Most of the music arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown musical directors, orchestration and keyboards, orchestration in English, by John Philip Chanel, guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. 
The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was Tony Kornheiser, and everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's countdown for this, the 856th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Don't forget to keep arresting him while we still can. A little bonus to end this edition, one of those WNEW sportscasts from the early 80s, complete with a play-by-play clip from my first boss, Sam Rosen, who is still covering the team that you'll hear him cover in the clip. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow, and until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. I'm Dave Spencer, WNEW News. And now, WNEW Sports and Commentary with John Kenley. And good morning, Keith Olbermann for Big John. Sports is brought to you by Amtrak. America is getting into training with Metroliner service 13 times every business day to Philadelphia. They run from Penn Station, and if you were there last night, you probably heard some noise from upstairs. It was Ranger fans celebrating the new year a little early. Pearson in center. The Tonelli left wing. Feeds Rink wide to Nystrom. Two seconds to go, and that's it. A standing ovation for the Rangers, who have defeated the Islanders 6-4. to four. The Sam Rosen play-by-play here last night as the Rangers wrapped up a marvelous 6-4 victory over the Islanders, their first win over the Cup champs in nine games. It was tied 4-4 with a little over three minutes left when Andre Dory fed Dave Silk. Silk slapped. Don Maloney put home the rebound, and the Rangers were ahead to stay. Barry Beck had a goal to celebrate his return from the suspension. Duguay had a pair to up his total to 22. The Rangers are going to trade Dean Talifus and Jerry Gillis today to Quebec for Robbie Fatorik. This guy is your Class A diminutive setter. Here he works very hard. He has a long track record of busting his body parts for some pretty mediocre teams. He is 30 years old. Herb Brooks thinks he will help. Herb Brooks should try to get Wayne Gretzky. Now, what would he cost anyway? A few billion, 15 players, and Brooks first born? He'd be worth it. Gretzky got five more goals last night in Edmonton's 7-5 win over Philadelphia, meaning he cracked the 50-goal mark in 39 games, 11 games faster than the previous record, which was shared by Rocket Richard and Mike Bossy. Gretzky's biggest fans, his parents, were to fly to Vancouver tonight to watch him play there and try to get the record. He says now he's almost sorry he got the five last night. He didn't want to disappoint them. Neither local basketball team disappoints. That and more after this from Amtrak. Now there's a brand new express service. The New York Roadies, better known here as the Knicks, come from a 12-point halftime deficit to beat Cleveland in overtime last night by 110 to 108. The Knickerbockers are now a game above 500 on the road and a game below 500 at home. That is not supposed to happen in the NBA. The Nets won last night, too, only they did it at home, 130 to 119 over Detroit. After one and a half periods of feeling out, the Nets took command. Their lead down the stretch was in the high teens. The Liberty Bowl last night was supposed to be an Ohio State blowout, but quarterback Art Schleister inconveniently had a bad first half, and the Buckeyes wound up beating the Navy by only 31 to 28. This was rather unfortunate. If you took Ohio State, they were 14-point favorites. Not quite. Finally, they call it disaster turf, and the closer and closer we get to game day, the more and more likely it is the Giants won't get to practice on it. As the steady rains continue in the Bay Area, the 49ers continue to suggest that the Giants cancel their scheduled Saturday practice at Candlestick Park for the good of the bad field. 
which means that the first time folks like Rob Carpenter will get their feet wet, literally, will be when they come out for the game Sunday afternoon. That's sports brought to you by Amtrak. America is getting into trading with Metroliner service 13 times every business day to Philadelphia. I'm Keith Olbermann for John Kennelly on the Ted Brown Show. On Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Keith. It's 21 before 7. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Bruce Bozzi. On the last season of Table for Two, we had some good times with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for. Table for Two is a bit different from other interview shows. We sit down at a great restaurant for a meal, and the stories start flowing. We're back for a second season. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.